Right, good evening, everyone, from my side. Good evening, everyone. How's it? How's it? How's it? Thanks, Megan. Johannes and Megan teaming up there for a second. Enough said. Right, who's excited about tonight? So I'm sure everyone knows what we're going to be talking about. Spring has sprung. And it's already happening all around us. I'm not going to look at someone specific here tonight. I'll stop, stop that. I won't do that. Um, we're going to be talking relationships tonight. And um, actually the topic at a stage, I don't know how it happened. We had some conversation on the go by. And, and at some point the topic was um, relationships and sex. And uh, since then it's changed, um, which I'm quite glad for. I wasn't ready for that topic, even though I would have been ready if we had to share that topic about that topic. Uh, turn to someone next to you and say, don't blush tonight. <laughs> Bianca says she can't see if Matthew, Matthew's blushing. On that topic, um, if you do want to learn a lot, in fact, we had a, um, a sermon a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago in the morning service on that topic of sex. And, um, Aish, Aish, I do want to say that is a, it's a brilliant message, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're a couple, whatever stage of life you're at, that's a really good message uh, from Pastor Arthur Foss. So you might want to go and download that. And listen to or check the streaming version of that. This this evening I'm going to talk about marriage because marriage is the it's the end goal. Sometimes yes yes some excitement in the house, right? Marriage is the end goal, right? And and, and so this evening the the topic is for for everyone, whether you're married, whether you're a couple, whether you're engaged. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm sure most got the news. The two blondes here in front got engaged last night. Congratulations, guys. <laughs> right. Or whether you're single, tonight is about marriage. And we're going to be talking about God's blueprint for marriage. Um, we're going to talk about all kinds of things. I just want to say, just from the worship, um, I, I, I do want to say that that healing is not for not just for us when we've had a terrible event in our life. Healing is for all of us because we need Jesus. Amen? And so maybe you've had a terrible situation in life. Maybe you haven't, but you still need healing because we live in a corrupt world um, and we all have this, this gap in our lives and that gap can only be filled by Jesus, right? He can only make us truly whole. So I want to talk about something, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cultural practice of the Hebrews. So some of you might have known that um, last week was um, Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. And they've got a cultural practice, they call it a Teshuvah. Who knows what Teshuvah is? Teshuvah. Okay. What? Teshuvah. No puns allowed. All the punners in the house. No puns allowed. All right, Teshuvah. Teshuvah basically means the following. It, it means to, returning to the best version of yourself, um, to be our true self or the best you that you can be. So what they do is they, they have a time of celebration. We're going into the new year. Um, for the Jewish people, it was last week. It starts, you know, the new year starts. And then we, they, they celebrate the fact that... We're starting this year with God, but then we sit down, we have this get-together, we have this family get-together, we celebrate a lot of things, but then we sit down and we, we for a moment, get real. We, we sort of uh, just have an opportunity to reflect with ourselves, with our family, and with God. How have we sort of gone off the trail of who God has really made us to be? So it's a, it's a great time where, where, where people can just really open up and share, and it's amazing when when the family then begins to share to one another and there's repentance sometimes, forgiveness, listen, I've done this and this wrong to you. Um, and, you know, there's a real um, coming back to, 
righteousness. Coming back to what God has intended for us to be. And so that is such a beautiful picture actually for me about marriage and relationships. And I think sometimes we, we have a misperception. In fact, I think most often we have misperceptions of what marriage is. I think sometimes we think marriage is like a, a step-up transformer. Any engineers in the house? Where's the engineers? You know what a step-up transformer is, right? All the engineers, some people are going like this. A transformer is basically something, a an, an, an device that takes a certain voltage and either steps it up, either increases the voltage or decreases the voltage, right? So I think sometimes we think as marriage as this transformer. If I can just get to that stage in my life, it's going to be amazing, right? It's going to make my life great. I'm going to find that person and that person will complete me, Right? Now, I think we have a lot of misperceptions about marriage, and I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, marriage is probably not what you think. And then say, but it's probably better. And I'm trusting that you can see that tonight. And so sometimes we think, um, listen, there's this person that I need to find. And there's this, maybe, maybe there's a specific person that I'm interested in. And, you know, maybe I can make this work. And the only thing that you can make work in this life is your yieldedness to God. And I think sometimes we think when we get to marriage, things are going to be so completely different that, um, you know, I'm going to manage everything and it's going to be good. And there's going to be lots of good. I'm going to focus on the good. But it, the good comes from a completely different perspective. But I do want to say this is the big, this is the bottom line, the punchline of tonight. I'm giving it up front. Um, the big thing about marriage and, and yourself and life, in fact, is that you can only change, change one person. And that is yourself. In fact, you can't even change yourself. But you can choose to yield yourself to God so that he can change you. All right? So some of us maybe, I know there's a couple of married people in the room. Um, sometimes when you're getting married, you think, well, I'm going to change this person. Never works. Always backfires. Um, and the only person, again, in marriage that you can change is yourself. So I think let's, let's make that commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. Praise the Lord. He's given us his Holy Spirit to help us, to be our helper, to be our comforter, to help us be the best version of yourself. All right? Who wants to be the best version of themselves? All right? And so we, we, we're on a lifelong journey. That journey doesn't come to an end when you get married. Right? So just to debunk that myth. Right? It, in, in fact, it starts. Right? No, it doesn't start there. But you can, you can do yourself a lot of good. By being the best you now in this moment. Um, even if you're not married, you can actually save yourself a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of heartache by doing the right things. In fact, the word teshuva is the word that we get our word repentance from, right? Teshuva means to change. And, and, and we as believers, we need to change often. We need to become very good at changing so that God can work in us and work through us. Amen. So the scripture for tonight, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. <clears throat> the book of Revelations, and probably one of the, um, probably the book that actually speaks the most, I should have asked beforehand, but uh, probably the book that speaks the most about marriage is the book of uh, Revelations. And I've titled the message, The Marriage Mirror, because marriage is a reflection in this life of something that's going to happen at the end of the world, right? That great day that the Bible speaks about. So Revelations, the book of Revelations, and Jesus foretells this when he was on earth. He told many parables. We're going to look at one in a second. He spoke about that great day, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we see amazing 
powerful imagery in the book of Revelations about that day. So firstly, marriage is there to protect the reality that is to come, right? And, and, and the image of God. But, but here in, in, the, in chapter 3, in fact, before and after, it speaks about um, this marriage that is to come. Where God is preparing his bride, that's us, the church, perfecting the bride for the bridegroom, which is Jesus. Beautiful picture. But yet, then in, cha- in chapter 3, in fact, he speaks to a couple of churches, but, but specifically he speaks to a, a unique group of believers. And he says to them, listen, you have, you have a lot. You have um, a lot of resources. You're very cool. Um, you're very gifted and skilled, and you look nice, and all these things are, um, are good. But I have this, thi- this one thing against you is you, uh, you are lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. On the outside, in fact, that's pretty much what he says to, to the, that church is, if you were to look on the outside, I would think you were very good and very cool, right, because of the externals. But I can see the internal, and I can see that in your heart, you are lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. You know what you're not supposed to do? You don't do that, but you're also not hot on fire, right? And so he says this message, and I want you to see this, and this is very um, applicable to relationships and marriage, I believe. Jesus says to these people, again, they think they've got it all together. They've got it all right says to them the following, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may be rich, truly rich, in God's ways, God's standard, and put on white garments that you may be dressed, that the shame of your nakedness may not appear, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Right, so this a couple of things in there. Firstly, it says, buy from me gold. Firstly, the word, use of the word buy. In other words, it's going to cost you something. But what does gold resemble? Gold resembles, the verse says it a bit later, it's, it's purified. It's pure. It's, um, it, it goes through the fire to be purified. But gold is also something that is worth a lot. So God says, come to me. It's going to cost you. Because it means that you're going to lay down some things, but then I'm going to give you something that's much better, much greater. You think you're rich, but look at what's going to happen if, if you come to me and you buy from me um, and I'm going to give you gold. And I'm going to give you white garments. You're not going to look at the white garments. That's very intentional and very specific, um, but I'm not going to focus on it now. I'll come back to it a bit later. That you may be dressed, that the shame of your nakedness may not appear. One of the first things, (coughs) one of the first things that happened to man in the Garden of Eden was when they sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, suddenly they became aware of each other's nakedness and they had shame. God doesn't want us to live with shame, but in fact, but because we're born into this world, because we're born into sin, shame is something that we need to overcome in God. And the first thing, the, the first thing that followed shame, the, the fruit, the result of shame was broken relationship. Right? Broken relationship with God. Adam and Eve were separated from God. They could not enter into the garden, into God's presence. They were freely with God before. Powerful vision there about the garden, the beautiful garden. Um, and, you know, they were cut off from that. But they also, the relationship between Adam and Eve was also broke down, broken down, right? It's a powerful, that vision. I'm only seeing it now. God is inviting us back into his beautiful garden. Through Jesus, the narrow gate, we can again return and come into his garden where he restores, where he takes away shame, where he renews us, where he makes us new, where he perfects us in him. Now, I said earlier that you cannot change someone, right? You can only change yourself. What, what, is the opposite, what is the opposite of that? 
What happens if you try to change someone? Anyone? You, you fail. Good point. Someone knows. <laughs> you fail. It's not going to work. You end up changing. Well, yes, actually, if you try that after a while, it will have a negative effect on you. That's, that's a good conclusive um, comment there. But if, I just want to get to what you call it when you try, second, manipulation. Manipulation. So another word for that is control. That's just the word I was looking for, but same thing. So in other words, you try and control someone, right? Or more than one person, right? And so, so that is the opposite. And, and, and like Marianne says, it, it, when you try and control someone, you become ugly. Manipulation is ugly. Right? And that's not what God has called us to do. So this evening, I want to just share a couple of principles. I want to just share um, a couple of um, um, truths about marriage. Um, because I cannot tell you, I cannot teach you any methods. I cannot tell you this is how it works. I've, um, I've been a marriage officer for about eight, ten years. And um, married about 40 couples. And I can tell you. Um, not um, one of the stories were the same. And they were, in many times, really different, radically different. Who's ever tried to matchmake? Who's ever tried to matchmake? Did it work? No. It doesn't work, right? If you try and matchmake, it, it never works because you think this and this person, these two people, they were really fit along well, but it never works, right? And sometimes you think that those people, they're not going to get along. And then just, it just happens, right? There's just something that clicks and it happens. And, and so God is the matchmaker, right? It's something that, that we cannot do. So, so what I'm saying tonight is that I cannot teach you a way of getting to marriage or into relationships. I can share some stories of, you know, what happened with myself and Liana. Um, but I can share some truths from Scripture, guidelines and, and principles to help you to apply certain things in your life. So, if you can go to the next slide. That's it. Yes. So, that's my beautiful wife, Liana, 10 years ago. Next year, we'll be married for 10 years. And that was on our wedding day. I thought I won't put myself in the picture because uh, then you'll see how young I was back then. Let's not, so, let's not do it the other way around. <clears throat> so our story, I'll just share a little bit of a brief part of our story. So, so I'll just fast track to a certain point where I was sitting next to this gorgeous woman on an airport. And we, I haven't seen her. I knew her. From a while ago, um, but I hadn't seen her for three years. Had no contact. In fact, um, it, this was in Cape Town, Cape Town International. And um, the the week earlier, I, th you know, she was said she was going to come down and so on, and we were going to meet up and so on. And then I said, no, 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 it's not going to work out, right? And so we were on the airport, and something in in that week changed, shifted in me, and. As we were sitting there, I was like, this woman, I need, to, I need to do something here because she's flying back to Pretoria because she stayed in Pretoria, worked in Pretoria, and I better move because there's a couple of seconds left. And so now we're sitting there. It's like really awkward. And a flight is about to leave, right? And, you know, obviously you don't want to miss the flight. Now this old buddy of ours comes there and he stands there. And um, he's starting to chat, and we're like, just yeah, very nice, polite, but we, dude, can you just, you know, we'll talk later, I'll phone you or something. But now he's sitting here, and within a couple of minutes, you know, she's going to fly, and, you know, I haven't, I haven't done anything. I mean, we've just seen each other the morning, starting the morning, and from nowhere, I need to now ask this girl um, if she would... Um, date me, right? And so, 
So we're sitting there. It's this really awkward moment because um, I'd asked her a very awkward question. And like Liana does, and most girls probably, she threw the question back at me, right? Now I'm sort of spinning and backtracking, and I'm really uncomfortable because this is really out of nothing, right, that I have to ask her. And eventually, um, the announcement comes, and when that happened, I was almost like, you know, throat, you know, lump in my throat. Um, and the announcement was the following, flight so-and-so has been delayed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, for the next sort of 10 minutes, you know, I was trying to convince her why this is a really unfair question to her. And then eventually I asked her, would you go out with me? And she said, yes. Right? I was like, what? What? And, and she went right there. She, I quickly ran to the shop, bought her some flowers, and she was on the flight back to Pretoria. So the next couple of months was a, was a bit of a long-distance relationship. So, ship. Right. So that was the Facebook version. <laughs> what I didn't tell you was there was a seven-year-long period, right, where, um, what's, what's, the, what's the word you use if, um, if, if a guy pursues and he gets... Curved, curved, okay, he gets curved. No, it was a bit harder than that, yes. It wasn't a curve, it, it was a bat, right? That's, that's what we call it, called it back in the day. So I was, ba I was batted and battered <laughs> three times, right? And then at a stage, I completely gave up, and I was like, this is, this is not of God. That's why the week that she was coming down to Cape Town, I sa she said, would you pick me up at the airport? I said, um, no, sorry, I'm busy. <laughs> and um, because I'd moved on, I was, I was, you know, I was way past that. And, and God, in his, in his humor, had set me up. Because that day, that same day, you know, we coincidentally walked into each other. She was going to be at another place, and we didn't work out, and we were there. And long story short, took a... Um, to church that day, um, and, and just to give you an idea um, how out of nothing this was, when she got back to Pretoria, people thought she's crazy, right, because no one, none of her friends, none of her family knew about us, and, you know, she went to Cape Town and came back at a boyfriend, <laughs> right, but in any case, so we, we, I took it with me to church, church wasn't here, it was in, in, in Cape Town, and in the sermon, the pastor looks at us, and he, he says the following words, out of no nowhere. It's, got no, it's not a relationship sermon. It was something completely different. Looks at us, and he says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and finds favor with the Lord. Right? And so we were very awkward that moment. Then he moves on to the rest of the sermon. <laughs> Any case, that's just a little bit of our story, but uh, it's, uh, it was a long journey. Seven-year journey. I'll tell you a bit more later. So, marriage isn't about your happiness. Okay? That's a, that's a hard statement. But I still, I still want to say marriage is not what you think, but it's better. Right? Marriage isn't about your, happi about your happiness. That doesn't mean that you won't experience a lot of happiness in marriage. I'm just saying it's more than that, right? It's not primarily about your happiness. So what is marriage then? So four, sorry, five things. Firstly, marriage is God's idea. Marriage is, is God's idea. It's always amazing to me when um, unbelievers want to get married, they always come to the Christians because there's a recognition that marriage comes from God, right? And, and that is really the case. In fact, marriage would not be possible if it wasn't for God. So I want to take us through just a couple of points on the, um, when we do weddings, uh, there's a, 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 a marriage um, section, an introduction um, to the ceremony. 
Um, and I want to just take you through a couple of the points on that. So the first one, it is God's idea. And I want you just to consider and to think about um, these statements. It's power-packed statements, but it just combines a lot of God's heart through his word about marriage. The bond and the covenant of marriage was given by God in creation. It is God who says in his word, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. It is God who instituted marriage. Marriage belongs to God and husband and wife are responsible to God for their marriage. They will have to give an account of the marriage which God has entrusted to them. So two things there. Marriage is a gift. Something that God gives. Um, Secondly, it's God who instituted marriage. So if you want to know what marriage is about, where do you go? Right? You go to God. If you want to know who wrote the book, you know, or that topic or the design that, that was built there, you go to the designer. You go to the author. Now, God is the author of marriage. So if you want to know more about marriage, you go to God. And that means both in his word and to him in person, in relationship with him. Secondly, it is by God that marriage is possible. The Christian marriage is not just a legal contract. It is at the same time a spiritual contract called a covenant. There are three parties to a Christian marriage, husband, wife, and Jesus of Nazareth, who died in order to save us from our sins. And this is my favorite part of any, any wedding. It's the fact that Jesus is there. Right? Jesus is there. In fact, Jesus makes it possible. I don't know how unbelieving people can have a good marriage. Because so many times I find myself going to Jesus saying, Jesus, you are part of this covenant. I need you, Jesus. You were there on that day. You know, and then Jesus comes because he's part of it. And there's so much hope. And some so many times and sometimes we come from broken broken backgrounds. Maybe your parents have been divorced. Maybe your parents were never together. We come from all, all, all kinds of brokenness. Um, but the good news is it will work because God is in it, right? The good news is if we yield to God and we keep the, the humble stance that it is God who makes it work and God needs to change me, then it will work. Right? Because God is in it. It's not just a legal contract. It's a covenant. And part of that covenant is husband, wife, and Jesus. He's the first person of that covenant. <coughs> Thirdly, it's, it's for the image and the glory of God. Marriage is for this purpose. A sign to us of the mystery of the union between Jesus and his church. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Scripture, commands that all should hold it in honor. Marriage should be respected and not be tampered with. So it's for the image and the glory of God. God had made it in such a way that husband and wife, man and woman together, reflects his glory, his image into this world. God, the Scripture says God made man and woman in his image. So collectively together, when we come together, we represent who God is to this world. And so that is the essence of, of marriage, is to bring glory to God. And that is so much better than bringing us on an individual level just simply purely happiness, right? It's so much deeper than that, right? There's so much fulfillment in knowing that this union, this coming together, this marriage is bringing glory to God. Okay, of course, marriage can also take away in a negative sense when there has been um, a, a regress from the original purpose. And a, a, um, a marriage that is regressed can cause a lot of damage, right? Or that's completely deteriorated can cause a lot of damage. I'm sure we're all aware of that. But the Holy, Holy Scripture commands that we should hold it in honor, right? Marriage is holy, right? It's not just a little something we do. It's not a little event. Sometimes I think we make too much of a big day, right, where it's just the first day. 
right? But that moment and that, that covenant with God that is um, holy and really powerful. Then fourth, the fourth point is um, marriage is it's a safe space um, and, of course, includes um, children when one, one day gets children. So it's a safe space. And I think that's one of the amazing things about marriage. The way that God had designed marriage is is he's made it as a safe space for people to come into, right? Whether it's children um, or other people coming into a place. There's something unique about marriage that no other place in this world can provide. Right, um, we were just at an adoption conference over the weekend, um, and just talking about um, you know people, little kids that come into new families and the dynamic of that, and you know they were just continuously saying that adoption, the the, the first first prize for a, a little baby or little kid to come into a family, um, or, or to to be healthy is to come into a family, you know, not to go into a home or other scenarios, those don't work. What really works is if a family takes in a child, right? Because God, it's just amazing. It's brilliant the way God had set it up. But it's a safe place um, for us to come into. And if we do manage God's way, um, then children also experience it as that. Then the last point is companionship, right? Marriage is companionship. It's It's... It's two people walking through this life together. The two shall become one flesh, right? And that is incredibly blessed in itself. Right. So now, those were the five points of why marriage. (coughs) Now, because of these things, I said there, therefore, because of all those, those five points and and, and the focus that shifted from ourselves to onto God and His glory, the fact that we represent something that is much greater than ourselves coming together, that means the following three things. The first one is in Genesis chapter 24, verse 1 to 7. I'm going to read these swiftly and spend a sermon on, on each of them, but I won't. Abram now was very old. So we look at the the coming together of Abram and Isaac. Sorry, Abram and Isaac. (laughs) Isaac and Rebekah. Right, the coming together of Isaac and Rebekah. Abram set it up. That's why, you know, any case. Right, a beautiful story. Really powerful. I want to encourage you to go and read it again. But I want to just highlight a couple of things in this story. It's really powerful. Now, Abram was, Abram was very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant of his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Very uncomfortable <laughs> request there. Let's move on. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and to my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there. Abram said, the Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of, the, out of my father's household, and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on an oath, saying, To your offspring I will give you this, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife for my son from there. Now this is a really powerful s- statement, and I can spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to get the bottom line of, of what is happening here. The bottom line starts here with the right here at the end. It says, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. Now, God, and I often say this to people, God is more into relationships than you are. 
God is more into your husband or your wife than you are, right? He, he makes it happen. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that relieving? Isn't that amazing that in the case of Isaac and, and, and Rebecca, um, God would send his angel, his Holy Spirit, to make it happen, right? And so, so the emphasis here is, is that God makes it happen. Right, and so um, the pressure is off of us to make things work. Isn't that relieving? All right, so God, God does it, and and I want you to see just a couple of things here. So He says, "There's this promise." And then He talks about two obstacles to this promise. Now, the promise is something um, that God had given Abram. He says, "This promise that God has given me." Remember. Um, Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all else will be added to, to it. Now, Abram says, this promise was given to me. And I know that if I stay true to this promise, God will make other things work. But he, 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 the, the servant presents to him two obstacles. He says, firstly, what if the wife will not come? What if the wife is unwilling, Right? And the second one is, um, should I take your son back there? All right. His first request was actually to not take a wife from um, the Canaanites. In the New Covenant, that would re re represent um, a purity. That rep represent um, the fact that, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the Bible speaks about being unequally yoked, Right with an unbeliever, someone that does not go know God as you know God, right? So that's the, the, the symbology there. But two things is, the, a servant is concerned about, will the wife be willing? Will the woman be willing? And should I take your son there? And Abram says, no. I've got confidence that God will make it work. I'm not going to compromise, compromise on what God is doing by making it happen by myself, in the flesh, right? Because God will make it happen, right? You don't need to make marriage happen for yourself. God, is, God loves you too much. And God, as I said earlier, he's the third part of the covenant. So he's part of the whole process, All right? That's the first, first point that you need to get. Second point is the garment, um, and Revelations, the first uh, chapter 3, the first scripture I read, also spoke about this garment. And this is very intentional. I want you to see in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus tells this parable of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then he says, he says to his servant, um, this is now a parable. The master is having this um, waiting for his son, and he says, go invite all the guests. This is a picture of the kingdom. Go invite all the guests, and one by one, as the servant goes, um, one after the other, they recline to this invitation, to this marriage. The one says, no, I'm busy with my career. You know, the other says, no, I'm busy with my family. The other says, another excuse, right? All legitimate things. Right, I always I love this parable because it's legitimate things. Is it wrong to pursue your career? No. Is it wrong to focus on your family? No. Is it wrong? Any of these excuses, most of them not. But is it wrong if the if the King of Kings invite King of Kings invites you to the marriage supper of the Lamb to then reject it? It's not right, right? Because it's, it's, it's so much greater. It supersedes all of those good things. The best supersedes the good. Sometimes the good gets in the way of the best. Right? But he invites them. And then at the end of this parable. So then, sorry, before we get to the end. <clears throat> the servant then, the master says to the servant, so all these people have de declined the invitation. Now go into the streets. Invite anyone. Anyone that you find. Right, invite them because all are invited. Go to the poor, go to the um, disenfranchised, go to those that struggle, those, those that are broken, invite them. All right? 
So he does that, and the the marriage supper or this event, this this wedding, is full. But look at what this says. I always I always couldn't figure out what this really meant. But it's a it's at the end of the parable. Look at this, verse twelve. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man who was not wearing wedding garments. Right? He came maybe off the streets or someplace, but he was not wearing wedding garments. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding garments? And he was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, what is, what is Jesus teaching us here? What is the lesson? The lesson is the following. Was that man invited to the party? Did he have an invitation? Yes, he, he had an invitation. Right? Did he prepare himself sufficiently to give honor to the king? No. He did not have on his wedding garment. The wedding garment resembles um, it re resembles salvation um, and it resembles righteousness. One day, again in the book of Revelation, God's with pursuit. Then to the ladies, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the air, wearing gold, um, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, I love that phrase there at the end. It's very precious in the sight of God. And so, <coughs> excuse me, often we would look at that scripture and we would say that it's ungodly to put attention on the outward. But that's not what it's saying, right? It's saying... Um, Instead of putting all the attention on the outward, make sure that you rather put the attention on the inward. What would you describe if someone puts all the attention on the outward, but the inward is a mess? What, choose a word to describe that. Superficial. Yes. Any, any other word? Vain, okay, perhaps. I was thinking plastic, right? <laughs> Superficial, another word. So God is saying there, and I want us to catch this. The internal, God hasn't got a problem with the outward. And obviously, obviously the church has gotten this very wrong over the years because, you know, at a stage, you know, in, in some churches still, makeup is, you know, ungodly and this is wrong and you know you know beauty in the outward is wrong and of course it's not right god himself is beautiful bible says worship him in the beauty of holiness right god is beautiful and that's why we worship him in fact he's so beautiful we're never gonna stop worshiping him when we get to heaven we're gonna just discover more and more and more of god the problem that God has is with the disconnect. That's why I use the word plastic, right? There's a disconnect between the external and the internal, right? Um, because the internal should reflect outward, right? And, and I don't know if you've seen this. I see this so often. When someone comes to Christ, and especially when they spend a lot of time, or if they go on missions, or if they just spend a lot of time in the Word and so on, you can literally see. Who's seen that? something changes. They, they become more attractive, right? It's just something that happens because something had happened on the inside that is reflecting outward. You get the point, all right? So that is, that is the focus. And, 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 and both these things, the pursuit and the adornment that second or First Peter speaks about, First Peter 3, speaks about those are things that we are practicing, not for the wedding day. Yes, for the wedding day as well, but for one day when Jesus returns. Right. Will you stand with me?
that scripture there is First Peter chapter 3. The context there is speaking about purity and the reverence of those ladies that change people. In fact, it speaks about a, a, hus- a wife having a husband that doesn't lo- know the Lord. Something in her, he says, he says, in that case, don't just preach or don't emphasize the preaching to the husband that doesn't know the Lord. Let him be changed by what he sees. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that amazing? Now I want us just to, to come before God. We shared a lot of principles and looked at the word tonight. I want us to allow the Holy Spirit just to bring it to home to all of us. Where you're at in your life, in your situation, in your story. I said earlier that matchmaking doesn't work. And one of the things that the scripture says about marriage is it says it's a mystery. There's something about it that we just cannot explain. That's why I said there's no methods, there's no story that is the same for another person. It is absolutely a mystery when two people come together. And that mystery reflects something of what is going to happen one day when we are with Jesus. So I want us just to close our eyes and I want us to bring our hearts before God. I want us to start off with that garment that Jesus speaks about. That at the marriage supper of the Lamb, the invitation is for all. Many are called, but few are chosen because they have prepared themselves. Before we're going to just pray for God just to do a certain restoration in us and a certain reconnecting us with the heart of the Father, I want to give an opportunity if you're here tonight and that garment. It's not right. You're not clothed with that white robe, spiritually speaking now. You don't have that liberty to stand before God because you can only stand before God if He has cleansed you with the blood of Jesus. Where you stand there clothed with the right robe because of what He has done. So maybe you're here tonight you just feel, I cannot come to Jesus. In fact, there's someone here that you almost, you're a bit uncomfortable even just in the space that you are in amongst people that follow God and know God. You're just so uncomfortable. And I believe God is saying the reason why is because you have not put on the robe that is made available to you. And the picture that I'm seeing about you is that you've been You've been putting these clothes that he's given you, but you're putting it on top of other things, right? That is dirty. And God says he doesn't do patch-up jobs. He wants to make you new. He wants to make you completely new. So I want to ask, while every eye is closed, if, if you are here tonight and you need to make right with your Jesus, your maker, then I want you to slip up your hand. Just raise your hand, just very high. Not for me, not for the person next to you. But as an indication that you are coming to Jesus on His terms and His way. And not in your own way. Someone else, thank you for the hands that are going up. There's someone else, there's just a distance between you and Jesus and you've given your life to him but there's this, this big distance it's like you're standing the picture I'm seeing is that there's a mountain top and there's a valley um, between two mountain tops and you're standing on the one side and Jesus is standing on the other side you can see him you like what you see you love him you can see that he's the king but you just cannot get to him what that resembles what that means I believe God is saying that you cannot come to 
you cannot do it in your strength. It won't work if you do it in your way. But you need to do it in His way. And there's another person, you just need to slip up your hand. Just be very bold and say, that's me. Jesus, come and fetch me on the other mountaintop. Come and fetch me. I want us to be very bold right now. If you put up your hand, I want you to step forward. Come to the front quickly. We're going to pray together. But I want you to be very bold. Even if you didn't put up your hand, but you know you need to be in front, just quickly step out from where you are. Just say to the person next to you, just excuse me. I need to do business with Jesus. Let's put our hands together for these people. Quickly come out from where you are. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just have some leaders to pray, facilitators to come and just desist in praying for these precious people? Hallelujah. I believe for someone here, Jesus is saying, I make all things new. While every eye is closed, I'm making all things new. Someone here standing in front, might be two or three people. He says, I make all things new. And you believe the lie that your past defines you, that you're never going to walk away from it. But if that's you, I want you just to quickly look up at me. Just quickly look up so that I can see who you are. You're standing in front. Right. Jesus can make all things new. Right. Father, I thank you for these two people. But Jesus, you come in. And we break that lie. Father, we thank you that only you, only your word will determine who they are and what they will be. None of their past, none of the old, but you change and you make all things new. Jesus, your words to your mother before you went to the cross was, I make all things new. Look, I make all things new. And those words are for this moment as well. Jesus is saying to you, look, I make all things new. Even that which you thought could never change. Jesus is taking that obstacle away right now. Thank you, Jesus. I want us to pray all together, especially if you're in front. I want you to pray from your heart to Jesus like you're coming to him for the first time. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that I can now receive my salvation. I thank you, Jesus, for what you have done on the cross, that you saved me from my sin. You've removed my shame. And right now, you're making me new. I surrender to you all. I give you everything. And I ask you, Jesus, that you would make me new. And I give you everything, Lord. My expectations, my relationships, my dreams, and my ambitions. I say, Lord, be my husband. Be my king. Be my savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to just have some time of ministry.